When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, Raider Nation? Matt Holder from Silver and Black Pride here. It's Friday. We're a few weeks away from the NFL draft, and the Raiders are still wheeling, dealing, and free agency, so we've got plenty to talk about. Plus, we have your questions to get to. And as your weekly reminder to have your questions answered on a future show, tweet them at me, adamholder95, or email them to sbpquestions1 at gmail.com, adamholder95, or sbpquestions1 at gmail.com. All right, let's do it. We'll start things off with the big quarterback signing of the week. The Raiders were bringing in Nick Mullins on a one-year, $2.5 million contract with about a million bucks in guaranteed money. Mullins is originally from Hoover, Alabama, though he did not go to the legendary Hoover High, as I'm sure you were asking yourself. And after high school, he played at Southern Mississippi, where he became the school's leader in every major statistic, passing statistic, excuse me, surpassing another Golden Eagle great, Brett Barb. Despite that, Mullins went undrafted in 2017 and signed to the San Francisco 49ers practice squad before making his first NFL start in 2018, ironically, against the Raiders, and Mullins led his team to a 34-3 victory, just in case anyone listening forgot about that game. The career-long backup has made stops in Philadelphia and Cleveland since then, and now should take over in Las Vegas as the backup. Another signing the Raiders made this week was bringing back defensive tackle Jonathan Hankins. Hankins signed a one-year, $1.325 million contract to return to the silver and black, and he does have some familiarity with new defensive coordinator Patrick Graham. Graham was the defensive line coach back in 2016 when Hankins was playing for the Giants. Hankins will have a chance to start once again, though he can be competing with the likes of Vernon Butler, Kyle Pecco, and Andrew Billings. As more of a housekeeping item, the NFL released schedules for the offseason workouts late last week. Since the Raiders have a new head coach, they could have began workouts this week, but only four teams opted to do that, and the Raiders and all the other teams with new head coaches will kick things off next Monday on the 11th. Voluntary minicamp is another perk of having a new head coach, and that will be held between April 25th and 27th, which gives the new coaching staff three extra days to implement their new schemes. After that, OTAs will be on May 23rd, 24th, and 26th, June 1st through the 3rd, and 13th and 14th, then mandatory minicamp will be from June 7th through the 9th, and these are certainly some exciting times ahead of us as a new era of Raiders football begins. There have been a lot of opinions made about the Raiders' trade for Devontae Adams, and those who oppose it have cited that Bill Belichick, Dave Ziegler, and Josh McDaniels' former boss would not have made the same transaction. Well, Ziegler talked with Pro Football Focus's Doug Kide about just that, and Ziegler had this to say. You're debating, you're new to a team, so there's a team-building aspect. There's always a team-building aspect, but obviously when you start a new team, you're focusing on getting the types of players that fit your system. Sometimes that could be similar to what the system was before, but sometimes that's different too. In our case, it was different. So you're looking at two high-end draft picks, and those have value, and those have value to add players for for your system. Kite also pointed out in his article that 15 trades have been made where a first-round pick was traded for a non-QB since 2018, and of those 15, Adams had the highest PFF war in his previous season. Ziegler went on to praise Adams' character as well, stating, You wrestle with the draft picks and all that type of stuff. 
Well, that's what made this situation a little bit easier of a decision because of two things, really. It was a great player and a great person. So that's what really helped that decision along because you know you're getting one of your best players and one of your most highly compensated players is also going to be one of your best workers and teammates. I do have a handful of draft visits to share with you guys that I'll touch on briefly as there aren't a whole lot of high profile picks and it's hard to put too much weight into these visits, but here we go. UTSA quarterback Tyreek Woolen has a visit scheduled in Las Vegas, and he is the most notable of the bunch as I think Woolen is a legitimate possibility with the 86th overall pick of the draft. SMU wide receiver Danny Gray visited with the Raiders on Monday, while Brown quarterback EJ Perry is also headed to the desert, and the organization's brass met with Hawaii quarterback Cortez Davis this week as well. This isn't a visit, but Aaron Wilson of Pro Football Network reported that the Raiders are interested in USC wide receiver Katie Nixon for all of you Raiders Trojans crossover fans. While we're on the topic of the NFL Draft, which will be in Vegas this year, Mick Akers of the Las Vegas Review Journal shared the tentative draft schedule and it goes as follows, and all times will be in Pacific Standard Time. On Thursday, April 28th, the NFL Draft experience will be open from 12 p.m. to 9.30 p.m., while live from the red carpet will be from 2.15 to 3.30, the draft from the main stage from 5 to 8, and the headliner concert from 8.30 to 9.30. On Friday the 29th, the NFL Draft experience will be open from 12 p.m. to 10 p.m., the draft main stage from 4 to 8, and another headliner concert from 8.30 to 9.30. Finally, Saturday the 30th goes as follows. NFL Draft Experience is open from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., the draft is from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., and the headliner concert is from 5 to 6. I do have one staff update for you guys. Jim Abrams, who was one of John Gruden's first hires when he redid the scouting department in 2019, will no longer be the Raiders' director of college scouting per Inside the League's Neil Stratton. Abrams had been a scout for the Cowboys for seven years and had previously worked with the Bucks and 49ers before joining the Raiders' front office three years ago. Alright, best part of the show, mailbag time. Reminder, tweet your questions at me, at mholder95, or email them to sppquestions1 at gmail.com. Our first question is long-witted, so I'll just sum it up really quickly. And it's about the Adams, Renfro, and Waller situation that I keep was talking about last week. And someone brought up that the Raiders will have cap space this year and can use void years on potential deals on a potential deal for Renfro and Waller's extension. So I wanted to bring this up. Um, one thing again. You know, I definitely think there is a world where they can keep those guys for a long term, keep those guys in-house for a while. And I think with the cap space for me, I think part of it is they are going to have a bunch of free agents. So that's part of the reason why the Raiders have so much cap space right now, or at least projecting into the 2023 offseason. Um, I believe when I was looking at it, they only had about 25 guys on the roster or under contract at the time of uh, the projection. So that's part of it. And I think for me, one of the biggest things with the whole cap space is it's not necessarily that they'll have the room. It's how they're allocating the resources. If you think about it, Devontae's cap hit's going to go up to $30 million next year. And then uh, if you give Hunter Renfro an extension, you know, you're looking at maybe even $20 million now with how ridiculous these, uh, these wide receiver contracts are getting. But somewhere around seventeen, we'll say that, something comparable to Christian Kirk. So that's $47 million into your new into your two wide receivers. Darren Waller is going to be a $7 million cap hit next year, but he's going to be on a contract year. So if we're talking an extension for him, I feel like you got to think he's probably going to be somewhere around, let's see here, I'll pull up the tight end contracts, somewhere around the $12 million mark. That would put him ahead of uh, David Njoku and just behind Jonu Smith, probably even closer to the $14 million mark. 
if we're being realistic, which would be more closer to Mark, or excuse me, yes, Mark Andrews. So now we're talking about almost 60 million compared to three weapons allocated, not to mention a quarterback who's probably going to get extended and probably going to get about 40 million a year. That's 100 million right there in the, what, five guys. That just to me is just a lot to use on a bunch of guys. Now, again, I'm not trying to advocate to, for them to get rid of any of those guys because I do love them as much as everybody else and all that good stuff. But it's just for me, that's just a lot of, it's more about the resources and more about how they're they're spending the money. And I guess, yes, the void years, the, you can point that out. The, the person in the question also pointed out that they brought up the void years and Chandler Jones and contract. That's kind of our, how they've already structured it. And sure, that's a tool they can definitely use. The problem I have with the void years is if you keep relying that, at some point that's going to come back to bite you. So if we're talking about adding void years to Chandler Jones's already, then we're talking about Renfro and then Wallers, maybe even Cars again. Again, that's more speculation on my point. The person just brought up adding the adding the void years to Renfro and Wallers extension. But again, if that's the strategy they're going to go with, at some point that is going to bite you in the butt. And at some point we're talking about maybe something like $10 million uh, allocated to that's just sitting there for, for nothing at this point. And that's kind of what worries me. So it's, again, I'm not going to say it's not, it can't happen. I definitely think that's an option. That's one route that they want to go. They can get creative with it and keep the, all those guys around. I'm just thinking a little bit right now that maybe that's ended up being a, being a deterrent for what they want to have, to have potentially $60 million locked in to, locked into three guys in their receiving core when they can still have issues on the offensive line, still going to have to work with the defense, going to have guys that are going to be, uh, they're going to have to bring in a quarterback, cornerback next year, probably another linebacker with Divine Diablo or bring back him too. So there's just a lot of things that worry me about giving that the, those guys that much money, even if there are a lot of void years, just because I'm not the biggest fan. Again, you know, something, a tool that the Raiders can use and it's become more popular in recent years. Just for me, it worries me a little bit. But again, if they can figure it out a way to make all three of those guys happy and make all and get all three of them to come back, I'm all for it too. It's just a little bit of weary, a little bit of speculation on my point, a little bit of paranoia, I guess you can say too. Question two, would Isaiah likely make the offense deadly? So for those of you guys that don't know, Isaiah likely is one of the top tight ends in this year's draft class. Kind of coincidence that we're talking about this just after the Waller contract. Uh, from Coastal Carolina, Isaiah Likely is, and I'll be honest, I haven't gotten a huge chance to check him out too much. I know he's a pretty good, a pretty good player and pretty good dynamic athlete. I'd be interested to see what he could do in this offense. I think he'll probably go in the second, maybe in the early third round. So I don't know if he'll be available for the Raiders unless it's a trade up situation. If he is uh, available in the third round, he's actually a guy. And tight end as a whole is kind of a position that I've kind of a I think could be a sneaky draft position for the Raiders this year. You know, brought up the Waller situation, him being on a contract year, getting up there in age, battled a lot of injuries last year. Foster Moreau, Foster Moreau had a really good rookie year, has struggled a little bit ever since then. So I do think tight end is actually going to be a position that could sneak up on us and could end up being one of the one of the Raiders' early picks. And in fact, when in fact when uh, Josh McDaniels was talking about the draft strategy and how he goes with the best player available. He named a, about five positions and tight end was one of them, which was kind of a telling sign to me. Cause I, again, I do think uh, we start, need to start diving into the tight ends a little bit here and see what they, the Raiders can come up with in that third round. But I guess you could say I'm not hundred percent certain how likely it'll be there. I really hate myself for that joke, but you know what? I, I said it and it's on the air now. So it happened.
All right, question number three here. Would you consider John Mechie in the third if still available? To be honest with you, no. You know, I feel like a couple months ago, I definitely would have been all over that. I definitely would have uh, would have liked that pick. But for me in the third round, I just look at the wide receiver position. And John Mechie, to me, I will say, is probably not that high on my board. I don't not that high on him as a prospect coming out of Bama. But I think for me, when I look at the, the way this roster is constructed, I'd almost, going back to my previous question, I'd almost rather see them go after another tight end than address a wide receiver with that third or with their first pick of the draft. Not to say that they don't they couldn't use a guy like Mechie, but I don't think they're in that bad of a situation. I think they have some decent depth for at least this year. Um, and I would definitely like to see them add offensive line before they add another wide receiver. But yeah, I'm not that high on Mechie. I think the third round would probably be his sweet spot, so I don't think he'd be a great value play either. And just wide receiver in general, unless a guy like uh, maybe a Christian Watson ends up sliding into the third, those will kind of be that would be the type of guy that I would be stoked about if they can get in. But to me, Mechie just doesn't move the needle as much for me in, in the third. And I just think the Raiders have a little bit, uh, they have some other needs that they need to address before they start worrying about a wide receiver, unless they can, again, get some good value at it. At it. And almost, again, almost rather see them go with a tight end. So. I'm excited to see how the draft board falls because this is going to be one of the more interesting Raiders drafts we've had in a while with them not picking till 86. All right, guys, a little bit of a shorter episode for you guys this week. That's all I got for you. Thank you again for listening. As always, please make sure you're following myself on Twitter at mholder95. Follow Silver and Black Pride. Please rate, review, subscribe, and download wherever you listen to podcasts. We really appreciate all that stuff. And other than that, until next time, Raider Nation.